After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. Hi, everyone out there in mind-rolling land. This is Raghu Marcus, and uh, David Silver is sitting across from me uh, because we're uh, very fortunate to have David here for this lovely weekend here. Uh, he's come down to do a bunch of podcasts, yes. and happy to have you here, Thank Dave. you. Yes. It's lovely here. Yes. And, uh, and he likes my cooking. Right. Oh, Raghu is a terrific cook. Always was, uh, and but you know, many years he did not cook for me at any rate, and then I discovered it, and that's why we have this, you know, this friendship. It's yeah. the food. It's the food. You only <laughs> like me for my cooking. Okay. Sorry. Um, we have a terrific podcast coming up uh, with a very, very special person. Somebody. Uh, we're going to introduce in a minute. We we want we're going to go back to uh, go back. We're just going to say thanks for the support. It is absolutely changing, and we're really grateful. It's changed since I think you all are quite happy about MindPod Network and and the this beautiful family of teachers and podcasters, and uh, so uh, it's all growing. Uh, hand in hand with with all of these uh, wonderful people and we're we're quite happy about it uh so we're we're going to not have our big uh recommendations go on uh right now but we are going to say please do use our Amazon portal for all of your purchases and know that we get a, a lovely little percentage and, and it only works if there's a lot of people doing it and that's why we ask everybody to bookmark dave uh but yeah. at, at the same time um uh it it seems like just i mean there's a donate button and people you have been donating and it's really gratifying and and david keeps in touch with a bunch of people uh, yeah every one of them you know i'm telling you it gives you a rush because it's so unconditional and so you know it, it's it's very kind and, and extremely well used. And, you know, we're very grateful for it. It really moves me, mm. actually. Yeah. No, it's true. It's true. And uh, and as well, audible.com, uh, you can get a free trial. You can go up there. There's a uh, there's a banner with Audible. and uh, I think you can get two things now. I you think. can get two books? I think so. Yeah. I, there's t uh, Obviously, if you do any kind of driving, oh, it's like listening to a podcast. Mm. You can listen to a book. 
and if you're doing you know road stuff or you or you want to just relax in the evening uh obviously in the car uh, so it's it's it is a great great resource audible.com and we have this fantastic t-shirt line David, I'm. I see. I'm. Th- David's wearing his T-shirt. He's got his MPN T-shirt in in the color logo. It's lovely, Dave. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. But uh, All right. Yeah. Pull your shirt down now, okay? Give me a break. Uh, and uh, so uh, that's up there. Just go to mindpodnetwork.com. Again, thanks for the support. And uh, enough said on that. No matter what Duncan says, uh, we'll just. Uh, uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, well, I mean, but, but anyway, we have a great podcast today and we, we do introduce, uh, Ryan, we have, uh, Ryan LeCompte, Raga, tell us a little about how you came to know him. Yeah. He wrote, uh, to, uh, me and my other job, not me, he wrote to info at ramdas.org and it eventually it, uh, was forwarded to me and, uh, somebody who just loved Ram Dass's work and said, uh, I'm, I'm a veteran, um, and I, uh, have encountered, uh, something that has really changed my life related to PTSD and it's, uh, psychedelics and, and I'm doing a lot of work and trying to help other vets out. And I immediately said, wow, uh, I would love David, uh, I'm sure would agree with me and we'd love to talk to you. And we wrote to him and, and so here ensued this podcast with somebody who comes from complete, utterly other end of any kind of spectrum in terms of my growing up or David's growing yep, up. Totally. Uh, and he came from a military family and uh, he went into the military and it was really, truly, he talked to us about service. I just never encountered anybody like that. The way mm-hmm. it was true blue. Not bullshit true blue America. It was a true blue person who really believed in what he was doing. He was committed. And then, of course, he uh, his story is, is fantastic, and we don't need to tell it here. I'll tell you one thing that happened, though, uh, in, in, this, uh, in this interview that we did with him. I uh, threw, after talking, about two-thirds of the way through, I don't know, something like that, Right. I remembered my own father who had been in the military in the Second World War and had completely lost a lot of his, not a lot, I shouldn't say that, Jesus Christ, sorry, Dad. He passed a couple of years ago. Yeah. Uh, there was a, a humanity issue of not, and not just humanity in the sense of like, he tried to kill me when I was a teenager. He screamed at me all the time. Yeah. Um, not that, that, which was more normal. I knew he loved me. Uh, but it was more about, like, you couldn't remember dreams. Nothing. Mm. Okay? Tra- post-traumatic stress. I yeah. mean, and he exhibited it in, in different ways. Anger was one of them. And we went to India, and we were with, he came to see my brother and I, and I tell the story, but briefly, it's, it's amazing because I suddenly realized, because Maharaji told him, Neem Karoli Baba, told me to tell him to, t- to give him some acid, LSD. Mm. And he, it all happened. And I tell this whole story, so, uh, which I've told before. Well, you tell it in the podcast. I tell it in the podcast, yeah. But the, the, the 
I never thought before that moment mm. that really my father had post-traumatic. I know, it's amazing. They and all Maharaji got him to take acid, just mm. like this guy's just doing like right he's now. Doing he's exactly. helping people out. And by the so way, we want to add here that this is carefully supervised and is... Uh, this is not a casual thing with a lot of oh, vets. God, you know, right. This is extremely careful, and he will go into it. And we, we, you know, we, we want to say that this is for a specific... Oh, it's completely, a utterly real complaint. guided. A very, yeah. very serious amount of suffering comes with these men and women, and, and this has helped. So you'll hear about it in the podcast, but we are going to say up front that this is for medical reasons and is Okay, well, you're going careful. too far. No, okay, I mean, I, no, no, it is. I mean, I you know it's, we just have, we can't be a, untrue to where we came from with this. No, no, no. They, it's nothing to do with what we believe in from back then. But we're just saying right now, this particular thing is not just some sort of party that people are having. It's it's a real right. okay. therapeutic yeah, that's thing. Yeah, that's fair. No, it is. It's got to be said. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. All right. To no further adieu, I love that term. Uh, here is what is that. Okay. It's French. I thought you spoke no, French. I do, but that's it. What, to no further adieu. adieu. Oh, you mean the word adieu. Is yeah. Right. Oh. I love it. To no further adieu. Here comes Ryan Lacomte, ex-Marine. And here is this really uh, amazing interview. Hi, we're back at Mind Rolling. David Silver is sitting right next to me. Hi. I'm Raghu Marcus. And uh, we have a very special guest today. We always say that, so that's bullshit. Uh, he's just a great guy. We just met Ryan Lacombe, and who has a fantastic story to tell. And uh, in case some of you are wondering, a few weeks ago, we did a piece, uh, a podcast rather, around the use of psychedelics for therapy. In particular, this was around dying, death and uh, working with people. Uh, with a psilocybin and uh, then of course they talked about PTSD as well and uh, Ryan say hi first of all Ryan sorry say hey hi. guys hi everybody out there in internet land uh, so great to be with you guys thank you mutual quite mutual so uh, we Ryan we had a, a, a really great response to that particular podcast, if you, you know, that's obviously, uh, it's, it's certainly in the news a lot and so on. So uh, when I got, uh, and, and it's around then that I got this email from you. And so Ryan is, but I want you to tell your story. I don't want to start to, uh, in any way, shape or form, <laughs> do uh, what you so eloquently did uh, on that video that I saw. But but certainly, can you give us a starting point um, and uh, around when you first decided to go into the military and where you were at in your life in that moment? Can you start there? Absolutely. Um, service has been a part of my family for generations. Uh, my grandfather served in World War II. Uh, he was in the Battle of Iwo Jima. He served with the Marine Corps. Uh, and my father served 20 years in the Air Force. Uh, and he also uh, uh, deployed to the Middle East during the first Gulf War. So me being a military brat, uh, I saw you know some of the strengths that, that he carried, but I also saw some of the trauma that he carried from those experiences. And, uh, 
from there, I knew it was in my blood. And so I was spending about a year in uh, an undergrad college, and it wasn't going anywhere. I wasn't finding the, the fulfillment that I needed there. So I dropped out, and I joined the Marine Corps in 2007 uh, from Tampa, Florida. And uh, that experience has brought me now. Uh, I did four years in the infantry uh, from 07 to 2011. And uh, that's the military life for me, a, a life of service. It can, it can be used sort of like the psychedelic. You know, there's, it's a tool. And uh, using the military as a form of service and a humanitarian effort uh, is one that I'm a believer in. And there's the other darker side of the military, which uh, can be responsible for, you know, creating the suffering and, and uh, being a part of both of those worlds is something that I've, I decided that I would embrace, even though I have my own reasons for joining to be of service to my country and to my my fellow brothers and sisters in arms and responding to uh, the chaos that was going on at the time. And, uh, you know, that's kind of where I'm at with the military. That's what brought me to it. When you first did your first tour, um, can you, for us, recollect, you know, early memories of that, like when you first got in there and saw what it really was, even though you were from a military background, you could only know that specific reality by being there. Would you tell us a little about that early those days? Uh, sure. Well, my first uh, my first realization was when I was in school of infantry, and uh, this is after I graduated boot camp at Paris Island. And uh, one thing that that really was my psychedelic awakening was in the military when I was at school of infantry. And we were told at, at one point we were, we weren't executing a particular movement at a field ops mission that we were going over uh, small unit tactics. And so the instructors that were training us were initial pushers into Baghdad. So these guys had spent a lot of time, uh, in the, in the front line. You know, so we were sort of the second wave that came in. Those guys swept the city, and they were the first Marines in. They were training us in 2007. Hmm. And we weren't taking our training as seriously as, as we wanted to. We were tired. You know, we were out in the field for five, six days. We were getting complacent. And Sergeant Heiler, I'll never forget, Sergeant Heiler was our platoon sergeant. And uh, we didn't execute a movement properly, and he— he called us all in in a school circle, and he beckoned us with tears. He said, this is what gets you killed. And I didn't understand that. It wasn't still that moment for me that was like, this is reality, and it's coming at me, and this is going to happen. I'm in a, I'm in a combat arms uh, military occupation specialty. I am going to war. And that was the moment for me that really opened me up to the trauma and casualty of what war really was. It wasn't, you know, um, what anything I've thought of or even what I've experienced vicariously through my dad's experience and his, and his dad from Iwo Jima. And, uh, that was, a, that was an intense moment for me. It was very intense. That was probably the most intense moment in my entire enlistment was that first awakening. Wow. Mm. But, before you 
actually so high school take us back high school into uh, in, in your relationship with uh, psychedelics was there any relationship with psychedelics at that point or even even marijuana which is uh, psychoactive no psychedelics in high school uh i smoked pot occasionally um and that was done with friends so i was in a, a sort of a a protected container and we did a lot of communing and laughing and I really, you know, slacked a little bit in school because of that. I started awakening to, you know, how the system works and more, you know, they say jump, you say how high type deal. And I sort of checked out of that. But um, what, what happened for me is when I got back uh, out of the military, I was showing a lot of signs. And so I, I was using the VA system of the, of depression and trauma. And I used the VA system and I got on all these medications. Uh, I was on Klonopins. Uh, I was on several anxiolytics. I was on barbiturates for sleep. I was on a Prozac for SSRI. And I was given this in a cocktail prescription. I was supposed to take all of them together. And so that was the first indicator that this might not be good for me. And I guess to, to answer, I know you asked about high school, but this is what led me up to reintegrating the process of trauma through the psychedelic and how that played out in my recovery mm. is um, when I first smoked DMT underground uh, after I got out of the military, I met a friend in, in college that was using the VA to go to school and I met a friend and he introduced me to DMT and I had never done a psychedelic, LSD, mushrooms, any of this. I've never mm. heard of Ram Dass at this point, never heard of... Uh, Timothy Leary, the 60s, uh, psychedelics, I thought, were, were meant to be a Schedule One drug. And um, so I smoked DMT. I found the spiritual connection. And uh, the message I got was compassion. And so from that experience, I started cultivating compassion within myself, within others. And then that same sort of traumatic experience I had in the military resurfaced and I integrated those experiences as strength. And once I was able to integrate those experiences as strength, my resilience went up and I said, well, wow, I'm okay. Like I, there's still the trauma there. There's still, my soul is still in a, is still uh, thirsty, but I can, I can now do the work that would help me recover in a way that I need to, to be productive and connect with my son, my two sons and my wife and I started working on relationships, and that's when I found Ram Dass was because of uh, DMT, the spirit molecule. I watched that documentary shortly after uh, my DMT experience, and uh, I read Ram Dass's books, and, and Ram Dass just completely opened it up, and he's like, read the psychedelic experience. So I read that, and I'm like, wow. Uh, Tibetan Book of the Dead brought mm -hmm. me out to you know Eastern practices, and, uh, yeah, I'll let you ask more questions because I'm really stoked to be on this show. No, no, no. <laughs> I could go on for a long time, man. No, no, no this is great because that progression you just cited is so, you know, um, I don't want to use the word common because that sort of demeans it, but it, it's something that we've all, and, and, you know, men and women of your generation and of ours, similar kind, not the military, but, and not the trauma. But the, you know, coming to the psychedelics and then to the Eastern uh, ways of devotion and prayer and so on, 
uh, it's fascinating to me, you know, it really is, I'm not just using that word, that you came to it this way, you know, that you were able to, you know, we just did a podcast with two Buddhist teachers, and it was all about being able to not avoid your suffering, but get interested in your suffering and then be able to transcend your suffering. That's in their book, right? And that, I think that's what you just said, Ryan. So talk a little bit more about that, f those first realizations that came as the catalyst from the catalyst of a psychedelic that allowed you to distance yourself from your trauma. You, st you said, you say, I, I still feel the trauma, but it's not as important anymore. Yeah. Um, the psychedelic opened me up and it allowed for for this compassion and and uh from that place of compassion i was able to face any amount of suffering mm. and uh i was from there i started looking for maps i started looking for ways to to sort of you know map out the territory a little bit get a little rooted you know with what i'm doing and being clear with my mission and uh that's when I went to Eastern practices, you know, um, the Four Noble Truths with Buddha and, uh, and uh, reading Bhagavan's book and how he left and, and went east and met Ram Dass. And I'm like, man, look at all this stuff. It's like a huge rite of passage that we're so lacking in this country with. It, it seems like it's become stagnant. And I finally had that, you know, through the military, but, but through this as well. Because the, the military um, was, a, was a trip in, it, in and of itself. And the trauma itself was a trip in and of itself. And so bringing me back to a place of understanding are what psychotherapists would call re-traumatization, which is a, a necessary component of recovering from trauma, is when you're, you're able to go back through those experiences without having... Um, you know, hypervigilance and triggers pop up that lock your, your psyche down and, and close your memory structures down. And I was like, I did this with DMT. I had a whole therapy session that would have taken me five, 10 years that I did in 15 minutes. And, uh, it, but, you know, <laughs> really? but, but, yeah. 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 And I'm like, if this can happen to me, it surely can happen to other people. And I'm sure that there's, with the suicide rate with veterans right now, there's 22 a day that are killing themselves. Um, and that's that was released by the VA in 2012. So the numbers are definitely higher. We lost more veterans to suicide last year than to the war. Um, so as we've been talking here, another veteran took his life. It's almost one an hour. And uh, I'm like, so I have to respond to this level of suffering, but I'm also recovering myself. So I'm a wounded person as it is. Um, but how else to get this across to fast enough to, to the suffering? And I, I don't see, along with the assistance, because what, what took me probably about two years to embrace the psychedelic from all the stigma um, and to also integrate those experiences into my life, uh, and, and that took a lot of self-searching. It took a lot of external searching, Rom's books, uh, to some extent, Timothy Leary, um, and, and the stuff that he was, you know, the other side of the coin that, that Rom and him were working together. Um, 
it, it took so much soul searching for me to do that. And the inspiration that comes out of it now is holding that suffering enough to keep me moving forward. Um, but also, uh, recognizing that there are others that if they just take this drug, it is a catalyst. Like you said, it's not the cure, but it's a way that helps bring up some of this stuff and bring it to the surface. And then the integrative piece afterwards is what's important. Hmm. So that's sort of what I've been doing now since I've my journey out West, uh, after DMT, I uprooted my family. I just finished up undergrad school and I said, I'm not going into a clinical field. So we moved to uh, Colorado, and now I'm at Naropa Institute uh, under uh, Rinpoche. And uh, I feel like that these, these therapies that they're offering, Stan Groff, uh, his transpersonal model of therapy, is a perfect piece to integrate the psychedelic experience. And so that's, that's the goal here with what I'm doing and what I'm, at least what I'm active in. Mm. Now, um, this is all... Sorry. Um, no, no worries. This is all post uh, leaving the military, correct? Yes. Mm -hmm. So, you, obviously, you were given uh, um, a platform from which to get a center to be able to uh, embrace everything that you're embracing. So what happened was in SOI... Uh, I was selected to go to 8th and I, which is a, a Marine barracks in Washington, D.C. Oh. Uh, I was rerouted to go to D.C. to carry fallen caskets at Arlington for fallen Marines. Really? My goodness. So I did goodness. that. I did that for four years. I carried caskets. Oh, for, oh, for wow. I did not know that. I that is yeah. a significant component of this, right, Ryan? Huh. Yeah, the exposure to suffering was just, it was it was enough for me. And I'd lost friends in the barracks. Uh, I had a, a friend, Sergeant Leon, who we found in the barracks room. He'd just gotten back from Iraq, uh, and he took his own life. We found him, he'd hanged himself in his barracks room. And, uh, you know, the level of suffering that I held for that long has pushed me forward with this with this work. How Leon was a dear friend. How were you dealing with that suffering in the midst of it, in that moment? Can you even recall? I mean, what, what were you doing to, to be able to live day to day? I didn't have a conscious, I didn't have a conscious awareness of it at the time. Hmm. It, part of the, the spree in the military is to continue on and, and muscle through. And uh, there wasn't a lot of time to really sit back and, and recall and, and recollect my thoughts. There was so much that was going on for four years straight with with ceremonies, and I didn't have a lot of time. Nor nor was I expected to be able to sit there and and actually be open and be able to talk to somebody. The military's microcosm is structured in a way that basically is adapt and overcome. Um, so my personal practices, I didn't have, I had, you know, a, a faith in God. I had a faith in, in um, you know, that there was something greater than myself. But overall, my family, I probably owe that to my wife and, and my son. Hmm. Wow. And 
Jeez, to get turned on in the middle of nowhere by DMT? Really? <laughs> I mean, yeah. That's pretty outstanding. Who was who? Who was that guy? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was a, it was a, and just a friend in school, a casual friend that I knew. Uh, we connected on a spiritual level, and I said, you know, something to this guy, you know, something to him that he knows that I don't. <laughs> and uh, it, it sort of evolved from there. He gave me a, a vision, and I remember we were sitting out in the parking lot after school at night one day and i said i said bobby tell me tell me a little more about this this vision you had and so he started describing he didn't tell me he was taking a drug called dmt he just told me he had this vision (laughs) and uh so i i moved more toward demystifying you know what was behind this vision because i connected with what you know in detail the the visuals he was putting across to me i said yeah that's right on you know, there's definitely different planes of reality. And uh, after he told me that, I said, so what is this DMT? And we sort of just evolved from there. It happened one day after school. I called him up. I said, Bobby, I'm coming over. Get ready. I'm ready. It's ripe enough right now. And I did it. And it hasn't been the same ever since. But you, the, hmm. there were something powered you into this because this was not a natural thing for you to do, right? No, no. <laughs> big I time. Wasn't a big, I wasn't a big drug proponent at all. I mean, I smoked a little pot. I drank a little bit when I was younger, but I didn't get into the whole drug scene in my in my environment growing up. You know, I was in a, came from a poor environment and a bored environment. And a lot of times people just sit around and do heavy drugs and I stayed out of all that, and I sort of sank in academics and and continued trying to excel and and make it out of the the slum we were living in, mm-hmm. um, lower lower class. And so I stayed away from all that stuff. But there was still this part of me that, you know, the spiritual aspect that I felt like I never got to as a as a kid. And maybe that was it. Maybe it was just this thirst that I needed to get filled. That made you just trans, just transcend whatever resistance to go say, uh, uh, yeah, I'm going to do DMT. I mean, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, and of course, there's that other thing which which brings me to a parallel with David and I and, and you. Um, well, we come from completely different worlds and countries, basically. Yeah. Um, and that is. And we talk about this all the time, and it's about a, the spark. We, you get a spark, and that spark allows you to realize, maybe in the most infinitesimal way, you're truly who you truly are. A vision of true nature, whatever you, you know, Buddhist, that would be a Buddhist thing, or uh, Ramdas might say, spiritual heart, soul. And, mm. and then you trust, and then. Everything changes, and then you are guided to, in your case, to a hit of DMT. And in that moment, you realize, just like us, when I, for me, it was a combination of of the psychedelic, because then it allowed me to understand that there was another reality. And uh, at the same time, within 
couple of years, I guess, few years, I met uh, Ramdas and heard that story. And that story just rang. I had complete trust. And then, bang, it all just happened from there. Just like you suddenly going, I'm going to go over to, what's his name? It's apartment. Oh, yeah, Bobby. Bobby. I'm going over to Bobby's. And, yeah, yeah but it's, it's such an yeah, entirely different thing from like, what I experienced. We started living in Cambridge, Mass. In 1967, where if you, if you didn't, you know, if you couldn't have a conversation at some point about, you know, mescaline, LSD, uh, actually DMT was not part of that menu. And when I did it, I found it uh, even even for something of a veteran at that time of that of that of that experience, psychedelic experience, it was much stronger and much it was kind of intimidating to me uh actually and it, it so i have some sense of how powerful i mean in other words i don't want to go on about myself but i'm just saying that no, i was no. already in that environment right i mean totally and uh, you know it just was de rigueur as they say to do that but i wanted to do it for purely spiritual reasons but many didn't in those days and many don't now i think what's amazing about your journey and and what you've already told us is that you were in it totally for spiritual reasons and that you know uh and that's why you took it in order to deal with the reality that was uniquely yours at that time and that i find very um amazing given the fact that okay the dichotomy in this country now for taking drugs is either you take them to get high and just get laid or mm-hmm. whatever and i'm not putting that down but it, it it's a lot of that mm-hmm. and then the other side of it is are those that like yourself who i think are far fewer in number actually who want it as a tool to take them a place they need to go to because they've had a glimpse of it you said before that your friend knew something you didn't know and that precipitated your taking this substance and that to me is very very significant and and rare i think honestly i may be wrong about this but i think it's quite rare in the west it is it is very lonely um sometimes trying to connect on that level um with people you know i follow ramdas I, I can listen to his lecture and say yeah that's the way it is and when I when I try to introduce that form or that way of looking at things and and uh, to others and try to connect on that level, it I lose people. Hmm. I do. Hmm. Uh, I've been working with a friend I grew up with, who's I can see I can track where his plane is, and he's he's slowly coming around. And I say, Kenny, I can't wait, I can't wait to meet you. It's been so long, you know, at this plane here that we can meet each other and. It's such an exciting unfolding journey to be able to to do that. It's so filling. It's like eating a, a full course meal hmm. after you get done. You just you're ready to go to bed or you're ready to hang out and relax. You know, it's beautiful. I love it. So, so this this is your obvious close to your personal um, realization that there was a way to to transform yourself, basically, through this experience. You understood there was a path. You set out on the path. You've started working with different Eastern practices. And, uh, 
And your next thought, I think, is what what can I do to share this, right? So I think this is the next part of the story that you need to tell. Yeah, so this unfolded. Well, I, I found what the Bodhisattva was. That was a, a huge piece for me. Um, so what, what brought me to, to find the Eastern practices, after I found Ramdas and I, I started cultivating a map, uh, I found the Bodhisattva, and I felt like I... I connected with the Bodhisattva. Um, Christ, Christ is a personal inspiration of mine, and and so I saw the connection with, you know, Hanuman and Christ, and then I, I found um, the connection with the Bodhisattva, and uh, so I found the heart. And once I found the heart, um, the heart opened me up to service. And once the service was there, I realized. Um, the connection between Ram and Hanuman or Christ and God. And I said, it's all the same. And then from there, I said, there's nothing left to do, but start doing the work. And so um, my next vision was to create a non-for-profit for other veterans to gather around the psychedelic. There wasn't a group out there uh, that was that were A, veterans, and B, advocating for an illicit substance and um other than marijuana and so i started veterans for entheogenic therapy and it sort of just grew well it's very weird how it happened but once i started that group if you build it they will come i mean it was a field of dreams moment people just kept coming and coming and coming and saying we need this treatment um the va is is not is not working for us we're treatment resistant and we, we need an alternative. And sure enough, I was plugging in with a lot of the guys from the 60s. Uh, Rick Doblin is now helping me with this study. Um, and his, his organization is sponsoring our study that's going on this year. Um, I connected with um, Jonathan Goldman of the Santo Daime Church in Oregon. Uh, connected with i mean there's so many so many of the originals you know including naropa i'm still i'm meeting people that hung out with bhagavan and at naropa that are instructors there and have official buddhist titles and you know it's sort of just it's this web you know when you start this thing you start the connections and they just keep fanning out and fanning out and the world becomes smaller and that's what—that's really what I've been trying to do—is finding the others and helping the, the form that I identify most with, which is the military. I feel like there's a spirit there that is important to help, you know, the service and the warrior. And so that's where I'm at now. So, how are people finding out about, uh, and how how is it being administrated in terms of the psychedelics and? How, how are you uh, people finding out about what you're doing? And um, I'm talking people from ex-military and who have PTSD. And how are you even getting them the idea that there is a way through which you found to uh, be able to deal with this through psychedelics? So how's that all happening? Um, just exemplifying, you know, living out 
living out the experience in day-to-day life. My interactions, I sort of work as a crisis line here from home. Hmm. And um, from the beginning, you know, it was it was men and women I had served with. And uh, when it really started panning out uh, is when the CNN documentary, when the, the crew came down with us to Peru last year, um, huge outpouring after that after that airing and uh, veterans emailing me saying we need help. I have now over 300, 350 veterans that need this help. And it's just a backlog of people that, that need to go and do this, this form of healing. And the way it's administered is there's a retreat center in Peru called the Temple of the Way of Light. Um, you can visit their website, templeofthewayoflight.org. And they do ceremonies. They've been doing ceremonies for 10 years now down there. Uh, and it's been an interesting experience. They work with Shipibo shamans. Um, they work with uh, light healers. They work with transpersonal dimensions of therapy. Um, and it's, it's all about the integration, really. Hmm. And that's so amazing. So people... You know, pardon these elementary questions, but it's 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 so interesting how this is working out. So people no, people go down, uh, ex-military men and women would would go to Peru and there be safe to do this with a, as they say, with set and setting with a shaman, and and then report back their experiences and and sit with you or sit online with you, and talk about it. Yeah. So uh, the way the study is going right now. I'm actually at Naropa, both for the the uh, integration piece, the therapy that Naropa offers with Buddhist-based practices and mindfulness and meditation. And so what I'm setting up while doing the, the uh, non-for-profit is a study with Naropa's IRB to get approval to do an observational study with 24 veterans that would go down who are diagnosed by the VA with PTSD, treatment-resistant chronic PTSD. They would then be screened here and go to Peru, drink ayahuasca on a 12 to 24-day retreat, depending on how long they they and the shaman decide you know, the, the amount of work that needs to be done. And then they would come back here for integrative work here in Boulder. Every veteran would be from Boulder. And uh, I have Jean Jacques, who runs a, an equine therapy program, with horses. Uh, I've have, I have isolation tanks ready to go. Um, thank you, John Lilly. I have, um, a love and trauma center, uh, run by a guy named Saj, who was a Naropa grad. Um, I also have a team of therapists from art to somatic to contemplative, uh, to transpersonal counseling. And all of these will be integrating the experience that um, they had in Peru. And what we're hoping is that by the end of the 12-month study with the follow-ups at three months, uh, that with the PTSD diagnosis that we'll be administering to them directly, we'll see a drop in their score. And that's that's the hope. And that's what I did when I went into Peru last July with a small group of veterans. I was doing sort of an informal study and I brought the measurements with me for PTSD. I, I brought something else called this is a sleep study um, that looks at sleep quality. Uh, there's a resilience 
assessment and there's uh there's a post-traumatic growth inventory that they take along with the ptsd eval and i did follow-ups with them without irb approval without um any sort of approval for six months and i found that all of their scores dropped and i said i have to do a real study and uh so that's what I'm, that's where i'm at now is putting all this together and it's it proves to be difficult at times, but you know, I think you can't just take the drug and assume like Rom, you know, he took psilocybin and he it said it broke everything up for him. And what he didn't have was the integrative piece. And that's why he went to India to find, well, who's got it without the drug. And that's yeah. what tore it apart for him was, was, uh, was, uh, Maharaji. And, he said, well, I want to, I remember this distinctively, uh, Maharaji saying, um, it's good to get high, but you have to come down. It better, it'd be better to just be high all the time without the drug. And that's the hope. That's where the recidivism, I think, will go down is that, like for me, I've been high ever since my first DMT experience in some form or another. There's been a high there without the drug. Mm-hmm. So that's the hope I have. And that's where the integrative piece comes in. Right. I would tell you a story. I, it just occurs to me. It's unbelievable. My father was a World War II bomber pilot for the Royal Air Force. But he, the Royal Canadian Air Force, which served under the Royal Air Force, the, the British. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and he fought Rommel in uh, Egypt, oh. in the desert. And he came back, and it it just occurs to me now, I had a lot of trouble with my father when I was a kid. I was a rebel, and he was a disciplinarian, and, you know, I had a lot of anger stuff and so on. It was very difficult. I didn't, but he, I knew he loved me, so it wasn't bad, right? When somebody, right. you know, that's a whole other world. So, uh, believe it. So, I remember him telling me he couldn't remember his dreams anymore, and um, and then as I grew up and um, got closer to when I was going to India, and this is in my you know early twenties, uh, well twenty three four whatever, I remember him. It was like he wasn't afraid to die because he had come so close. I guess so many times. I don't know if this is a syndrome of PTSD, but thinking back, my father had some PS- PTSD for sure. <clears throat> he was really in delusion in a lot of ways. I go to India, with, and my brother comes along as well, and we're writing letters back. We just met a being, you cannot believe that a being such as this would exist, that you could meet, and we were going on and on and on. And he got intrigued, right? And he thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check this out. And he came to India, and I thought, oh, my God, he's come. How c-? He was such a straight... You know, advertising, he's like something from Mad Men. He was from Mad Men. There's pictures I have where you see the furniture looks like one of the uh, the set of Mad Men, smoking a cigarette and having a drink the whole nine yards. Okay, that's who he was. And he comes there, and he actually comes there, and the day that he came where we were with Maharaji in a place called Rindavan near New Delhi, and we walked in, and Maharaji immediately attacked him 
and when I say attacked him, just blew his mind immediately. Said, you got on the plane in Montreal, and it went, stopped in Germany, Indian businessman. He told the whole story of his trip, and my father's jaw dropped. He was like, wow. He could, even though we told him, yeah, you know, he's really aware. He's on many different dimensions at the same time, you know. So, uh, And my father, anyhow, so at one point, and this is the uh, payoff for the story that I wanted to tell you. At one point, Maharaji turns to me and says, did you give your father the medicine? I go, yeah, he had a cold. I gave him some aspirin. <laughs> and he says, no, 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 the yogi medicine that Ramdas gave me. I went, acid? And my father went, LSD? He said, and Maharaji says to me, take care of your father while he's in India, okay? Meet me in two weeks at a, in another city. And we go, we go, we go, Ryan, we go to Benares in India where they've been burning bodies for thousands of years. People go there to die. It's known as the, you know, the end of the world, Benares, Varanasi. And we go there and we were staying on a houseboat about 100 yards from the, one of the biggest places, Manakarnika it's called, where they burn these bodies 24-7, okay? And there's my dad on this houseboat with bodies partly, they didn't all get burned all the way because people are poor, they didn't have enough wood, right? Uh, mm -hmm. shit float I mean it was just my father's there brushing his teeth and shit's floating down it's like, and he and I find some acid and I give it to him and he took it just like you took that DMT okay wow. same moment I'm telling you and my father realized then a complete realization that um, his humanness he got it back or something yeah he got that back and you know it was okay to be afraid it was okay you know he started embracing the shadows right through that trip and two days later we meet maharaj he never says a word about this trip nothing right like how was your acid <laughs> nothing yeah. it was like nothing happened oh he said oh, the ganges it's very pure right it's pure water right it's from the gods and uh and then he told my father a whole account of what happened he owned a horse farm and he had saved a I'm, I'm really going on here, no, Dave. Right? Is it okay? no, I think I, this is pretty interesting. It's just like a conversation between us. Whoever's yeah. interested, if you're not interested, you'll turn it off. Uh, and uh, and he had a ho horse that almost died. <clears throat> and uh, my father stayed up night after night putting uh, actually green clay on it and saved it. The, uh, the, they were going to euthanize it. My father, uh, Maharaji told him that whole story, exactly how it all happened, that, no, you know, he knew nobody who would think of anything like that, right? And my father then fell apart. You know, that was it. He, the acid, knowing everything about his life, that was just, he couldn't handle it. From that day on, Ryan, he was a completely different man. And it was, and Maharaji took... He didn't tell anybody else to take acid that I know of. He used to say, if, you, if you're going to take it, it's okay. The first time you get to see Christ for two hours, then you got to come back. You know, that's if you've read the book, you know, the, the Ram Dass's yeah. book. Um, and, but uh, from then on, not only did he become human, and David knows my father who passed a couple of years ago, uh, but he went back to India. Uh, he was with us for three weeks. That happened. He went back to India for a number of months with my sister and uh, her, her eventual husband, and got completely transformed, utterly, from top to bottom. And we, 
we had a great rest of the life. Wow. Yeah. And it was, and I'm just thinking, he definitely had that. I mean, he had experiences in the military um, that, well, in the Second World War, obviously, that were uh, beyond our ken, as they would say. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, it just, it just occurred to me that what a parallel. That's beautiful. And what a cool dad. Yeah. I mean, cool well, guy to follow you all the way to India. Yeah, but it's it's the uh there's that spark that we talked about before that that drives somebody to do the right thing mm. yeah. to know themselves but you know there's a spark and a trust those things happen for somebody and they happened for us when we were you know going to go over to India and and so on and they uh they happened for you in that moment at Bobby's place saying yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna take this yeah so actually ryan my thank you for sharing that my turning point which i I won't go into huge detail was not that different from what your uh veteran friends will experience because i it was with peyote and with peyote masters in a a peyote meeting of 400 native americans and myself my wife (laughs) and two other people and we um were told that we couldn't go in unless we ingested a gigantic amount of peyote and um we did and it 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 completely humanized me even though i'd been through other things you know and a lot of other things actually but it was so organic and so of the earth and therefore so trustworthy that the effects the visions and the tremendous feeling of compassion not only tell me about the real heart of Native American culture, this was Lakota Sioux, really Sioux masters. There were, um, it was a, an anniversary of Henry Crowdog's marriage to his wife Mary. Henry was the most famous of all the Sioux shaman, and we were invited for various reasons. Anyway, um, at this meeting, there were 20, 19 or 20 other peyote masters who came from all over America to be with us, from Pueblo tribes and from Canadian tribes and so on. And the effect upon me was just the same as we've been talking about. That, you know, it just I, I wasn't in the military, and my father was quite an enlightened man, but um, it changed my whole life forever because of the organic nature of the transformation, you know. Yeah. I mean, we're sharing with you, and we want you to share with us, but I think this conversation is circular that... You know, I'm very moved by what you're talking about because these men and women have experienced something that most of us just have not, at least in this incarnation, had any closeness to. No military experience, no confrontation with daily death and suffering and loss and trauma. Not in the same way. We've had certain neurotic moments and confrontations like we all have in our life, but this is a different thing that you're talking about. People are much more damaged by this violence and what what one has to do, I suppose, what one has to do to serve in the military. Mm. Your experience of it was unique. I mean, in other words, just sort of like this tableau of, of coffins and having to deal with that exact part of the deal is amazing to me. It's no wonder that you went to... Well, I don't want to say that. It was no wonder. It's just amazing to me that you were given this gift. It's really a a mysterious gift that you were able to see to talk to your friend 
and to take the substance and to find your own heart, you know, and share that with others. That's just really beautiful. Ryan, you should, you should, uh, we absolutely need you to give us some information that we can share with, uh, with all the folks out there. Uh, about the uh, it it is it is a five hundred one c three a nonprofit at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so give some kind of logistics for people to if anybody's interested. And I know a lot of people uh, and uh, our listeners included are extremely interested. They know of, of the major trials and tribulations of men and women who have fought for this country. And it's been a lot of years, so there's a lot of people who are coming back troubled, and there's a lot of suffering of missing members of family and so on. So I, I think there's, there's a lot people out there, I do believe, would be certainly interested in finding out more about what you're doing so and supporting it. Absolutely. Thank you guys for allowing me to share and plug plug my non-for-profit on your show and thanks for having me on your show uh and sharing such in-depth stories Mm. it it feels good to stop on the road and have a campfire Mm. and talk yeah yeah absolutely it really does just drop packs and enjoy each other's companies Mm. because we all have to carry our own packs you know or we can drop and share a fish or you know some bread break bread together yeah um my non-for-profit is uh, Veterans for Entheogenic Therapy. Um, if you Google, you can find uh, our main site is vetentheogenic.org. Uh, we also have a Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash vetentheogenic. Uh, and we also, uh, we actually have a team, a, a bunch of members in D.C. right now, uh, I, I just got off the phone with them, the Americans for Safe Access Unity Conference in D.C., and we're advocating for medical marijuana for mm. symptoms of PTSD. Mm. Uh, so they're fighting the good fight. I just sat in on a conference with uh, a congresswoman and her team, and it looks like there's progress being made. Um, and that's such a, a bigger picture of of what these plants and, and the psychedelics and what they represent. It's more than... It, the, the healing itself and, and medicinalizing it, it's, it's about human rights. And uh, being in D.C. and having that presence with veterans, uh, one person had said that the veterans are the fourth leaf on the clover in the movement for um, the, the, uh, the freedom of consciousness. Mm-hmm. And, and through these plants and through these altered states that help you find areas of yourself that you lost over the years, and so there's progress being done on that side. Um, and we're going to be hosting a podcast with um, Rick Doblin. And uh, have you guys heard of Dr. Sue Sisley? No. She's a, a medical researcher. She's the first one to actually get FDA approval in the United States to uh, study marijuana for PTSD. Ah. What's her last name? Sisley, S I S. L-E-Y. Well, we'd love for you to get us in touch with her too, Ryan, when we can do something as well. And when you do the podcast, of course, we're going to uh, connect it all up with MindPod Network, you know, that our family of low-hanging fruit. <laughs> <laughs> low-hanging fruit. That's, yeah. Well, one of our listeners said, you got all these people you've been family with for all these years. Those are low-hanging fruit. Can't you find some interviewees 
that are, uh, you know, I said, well, no, we're just happy with our low-hanging fruit. <laughs> we'll keep it like that. Oh, great to meet you, man. Yeah, man. Really. Thank you. Oh, Thank you. Well. And we got in, yeah, somehow, if you could make it down to Maui to meet Ramdas one day, he would love to meet you. Yeah. I know that. So put that in the stack, okay, as a possibility. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, and everybody, by the way, uh, we will have uh, all of those URLs and ways to get in touch with, with Ryan and what he's doing uh, on uh, Mind Rolling on our page on mindpodnetwork.com. Again, lovely to meet you. Yeah. Thanks, Ryan. Thank you guys. You as well. Such a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you for hosting. All the best. <laughs>